we're delighted now to be joined by Darren Sutter. Now, just to give uh, our viewers and listeners a brief introduction to you, Darren, uh, nearly 20 years ago, you uh, started Corporate Safety Services and Training Limited, offering organisations from around the world training designed to improve workplace safety. Uh, in 2006, Darren founded uh, Behavioural Safety Services and Training, an organisation that has curated behavioural science and health and safety training courses. Uh, you've also launched the IOSH Certificated Behavioural Safety Leadership Programme, but that's not all, because most uh, recently Darren was the person responsible for the IOSH Approved Behavioural Safety Science in Leadership Safety course. And Darren, today you tour the world offering bespoke advice to organisations yearning for that behavioural science buzz. Uh, and he is joining us today to discuss the aforementioned IOSH Approved Behavioural Science in Leadership uh, safety. Darren, that's a long introduction. Thank you very much for joining the Health and Safety Digest. Thanks, Toby. Real pleasure to be here. And uh, thank you. We tried to do this last time. I think it was I was in the back of a camper van. And uh, this is relevant to our conversation. I think I was out just outside Copenhagen, having just been for a morning swim. And we were just about to start it. And I was really impressed that you noticed you noticed in the moment, even though we were both ready to go, we could have done it. I think you were being put under a bit of pressure to get it in the can, to get it out there. But you noticed straight away that I probably wasn't in the best frame of mind to have a meaningful conversation with you. So uh, that really impressed me, the fact that you needed to get it done, we'd planned ahead, and uh, but you noticed that something wasn't quite right and rescheduled. So thank you for that. Um, I mean, I'm, much, uh, I'm at home now after a six week trip and really looking forward to our conversation and most excited by the question set that you've come up with. I've done many podcasts and webinars, some with IOSH, some with IRSM, uh, some with other organisations, Amazon as well. Uh, and I'm not just saying this, Toby, you've come up with the most interesting question set that has really got me thinking of why did I create this course? What is module one really about? So yeah, I'm looking forward to a good conversation with you. Thank you for taking the time to prepare such good questions. No, thank you for joining us. We're delighted to have you on. And there's no one better to discuss the course than the man who made it himself. Uh, so before we get into the course, briefly, how are you? Um, what, you know, how, how is your day looking today? And, and how have you been recently? Uh, really good. I'm just on the back of a six-week uh, uh, European tour uh, in the back of a camper van. Uh, I must confess we stayed in some hotels occasionally because it was just too hot to stay in a camper van with my wife. And yeah, we we visited some wonderful places. So um, that said, it's always even better to get home. And uh, yeah, we got home yesterday, maybe the day before, late the day before. And the first thing I always do, Toby, I don't know about you, when you've been, what's the first thing you do when you get back home? Sleep. Probably. <laughs> uh, sleep. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a sleeper. Yeah, I enjoy sleep as well. That's a good answer. But for me, it's usually a good cup of tea and some beans on toast. Just good old-fashioned beans on toast. So I'm in a good place just now. Uh, having, well, I've not had my beans on toast just yet today, but we'll do probably straight after this interview. It's fantastic you're back on British cuisine. And um, if I may, um, I'm very, very curious, Darren, about your inspiration behind the IOSH uh, approved uh, behavioural science for leadership uh, course. Um, now, of course, you created the course. It is a very, very powerful course. Um, 
But what drove you specifically, if I may, to create the IOSH approved behavioral science for leadership in safety course? Uh, and, and, a, and, a, and a tail on to that, will there be any courses with reasonably short titles? <laughs> yeah, good question. I, it, it was tough to come up with a, a, a title for this one because, well, first of all, the motivation. The mot my first course was entitled Behavioural Safety Leadership Programme, and that was a live course back in the day. Uh, it was a, actually a three-day workshop. Uh, behavioural safety leadership. So it was about behavioural safety, but also leadership and the two things go intertwined. My motivation for that took me right back in, I think it was probably 2008 when we actually got that fully IOSH accredited, was quite right. You're quite right. My first company was something called Corporate Safety Services and Training. We were a core safety company. I just completed my NIBOSH diploma. Uh, we were accredited quite quickly to run Managing Safely, working safely and NIBOSH general courses. So, and we did consultancy. Um, I wasn't very good at that, Toby. Uh, I didn't really enjoy it, it didn't inspire me. Uh, I could write up the reports, I could go and do the visits to companies. Yeah, I was excited to do that, but not only was I not that great at auditing, uh, I could write it up okay, but uh, I'm not the most, as my wife would tell you, I'm not the most, uh, observant of people. So auditing wasn't my strong point. What also frustrated me really quickly was after I'd taken the time and trouble to write up the report with all the recommendations, all the things that we doing well, all the things they wanted to improve on. Uh, guess what, Toby? I presented the report to usually the managing director or the head of safety. And what happened, Toby, do you think? It wasn't taken on board. It wasn't taken on board. I'm being a little bit unfair. Some companies did, but most of the companies, you know, paid me for completing the report. I don't even know if they read through it. They filed it away, took some actions on it, and but it didn't really make a difference. And that really frustrated me. I uh, I started to wonder, well, what can you do? This there's more to safety than this. It's it's so important. We've got to find new ways to do that. So I started to do my own research. I was also studying at the time sports psychology. That's my first love sport. So I was studying uh, a university, open university course in, in sports psychology. And quite quickly, I saw there was a there was a synergy there uh, between performance in sport and performance in workplaces, especially in the area of safety uh, and, and psychology and safety. And I thought, OK, there's a thing here. I don't know if there was Google back in that day, probably 2008, yes, there was. So I did uh, I did Google. I thought, psychology, safety, is it a thing? Am I just imagining something? And, of course, I was really reassured to find people like uh, Dom Cooper, Professor Dom Cooper, Tim Marsh, Professor Tim Marsh, uh, Rob Long, Dr. Rob Long out there in Australia. And there were, there, there were three or four people out there that were that were really making an impact in organizations throughout the world in looking at the psychology of behavior, the psychology of safety. So that reassured me, you know, I wasn't some sort of crackpot that had thought of this on my own. I was reassured that there were other people doing this. Um, some of them were really helpful. I reached out to them, sent an email, uh, and they encouraged me to, to keep on going, Tim Marsh particularly. Um, and uh, then what motivated me to do the course stuff is I wanted to do more. I, I read as much as I could. Uh, I was helped in certainly Dom Cooper was a big help as well. 
but there wasn't a course. There wasn't a qualification. No. Uh, there were only books to read. Um, there wasn't even too many films to watch back in those days. So quite quickly, I thought, well, let's create one. Let's, let's do a course. Let's make a course. Fortunately, I had uh, a nationwide client back then that were looking for something similar. We were running some managing safety courses with them at the time, and they wanted more than that. They wanted something a lot more than that to do with leadership behaviors. So that was the trigger. That was my sort of launch pad. And uh, it was tough. Yeah, I could say the, the, the process of going through it, but uh, suffice to say, uh, I did it once, wasn't happy with it, ripped it up, started again, did it a second time, still wasn't happy with it, threw it away, started again. And then the third iteration, I, uh, I started to get excited because it wasn't even finished, Toby. Uh, I was, I remember vividly sort of putting the finishing touches to the course, making it live on the internet, but I still hadn't done the last two modules, but it was live on my website. And on the Sunday afternoon, I just, I just put a price in there just to test if it worked. I think it was 75 pounds back then, um, just, just as a price to see, see, see if it worked. And I remember sitting on my sofa on a Sunday afternoon and ping, somebody had actually purchased the course. So the, 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 it, was, it was just live a couple of hours and somebody had purchased the course. And How I said to it, oh, it was just wonderful. Well, it was scary. The first thing I did, Toby, was I sent an email to her and say, hey, look, I've got to give you your money back because the course is not finished yet. Um, and thankfully, she replied straight away and said, well, that's OK. I'll start the course and that'll inspire you to get the course finished now. And she was dead right. Uh, it did. So. So, yeah, that was the motivation and a bit of a story of uh, you know, the first course, the Behavioural Safety Leadership Programme. I know this is a long answer. The Behavioural Science for Leadership and Safety Programme, the current iteration, is much wider, much deeper. Uh, it's looking at the wider behavioural sciences, much more than just behavioural safety. Things that are applied in every aspect of performance, sport, the military, sales, healthcare, and see what we can do. You know, all these things of behavioural science, principles of behavioural science work in those areas. We know that. So let's see what we can do to apply those same principles in safety, health and well-being. Um, so, yeah, you can tell I'm really passionate about this, Toby. I know you are as well. Uh, again, I know you've done the whole programme as well. So uh, cut me short if I talk too much. Not not at all, Darren. And it, it ties on very much. And thank you very much for sharing that story. Um, it, it's very, very fascinating to to hear what inspires people to create platforms for change. And I think that's exactly what you've done um, with this course. And that ties very nicely onto my next question, because the course itself covers some niche, uh, some, some, some niche areas and some much broader areas, too. So it's a very, very uh, complete course in that regard. And it covers topics such as the key drivers for behavioral science and, and goal setting as well. I'm very, very curious, Darren, about what you can tell us about what the course can potentially achieve for individuals and organisations alike who might consider after watching this or listening to this to study the course or to enrol their staff in the course. Sure. Yeah, great question again. Um, well, first of all, the course is designed for operational leaders, managers and supervisors. That's right from the C-suite exec board. Uh, right down to team leaders and supervisors. That's what the course was designed for, not really for safety professionals. Um, to my amazement, 
I haven't done the numbers, ran the numbers yet, but there's probably at least 20 to 30% of those that have done the program over the last two or three years are actually safety professionals. They're not the operational leaders that I targeted the program for. That's great news because um, you know some of the most experienced safety professionals in the world have done the program and that really encourages me, excites me. Um, what's the program about? It's about behavioural science. It, behavioural science fascinates me, has done since I was a young man, probably even even earlier than that. Uh, first of all, in sport, I used to look at performers, and I remember Bjorn Borg. I remember Steve Ovet. You know, probably before your time, Toby. Uh, and you know, they weren't really they weren't the biggest or the strongest or even the quickest, but they were the best. And it fascinated me why they were the best. And of course, it wasn't about their physical attributes necessarily or their talent. It was about their 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 psychological characteristics, the their behavioral science. They were masters of behavioral science to help them perform better. Uh, and then I looked at wider organizations, teams, bigger organizations, the military. And again, we can only get so far with rules, procedures, uh, doctrine even. Behavioural science is used in every aspect of our lives. So um, an example I used to use in our live programme, Toby, is uh, do you go to the supermarket? Do you ever go to the supermarket, Toby, to buy stuff? I do, yes. Do you make a list to remember milk? I try. Yeah. Um, most of us do that if we have to go to the supermarket. Milk, bread, eggs, sugar. And that's that's a list we make. Uh, so kind of a rule or procedure we make to, so that we don't forget that stuff. Now, the bizarre thing is when we go to the supermarkets these days, uh, they are masters of behavioural science. Um, what, in, what ends up in your shopping trolley, Toby, when you get to the checkout? Have you just got the milk, bread, eggs, sugar? I'm afraid not, Darren. I've got everything that's on sale. <laughs> Well, yeah, it might be the stuff they've put in on the sale uh, right in front of your eye line, but there'll be other stuff they've done because they understand the principles of behavioural science to persuade us, to nudge us towards, okay, we'll try that product today. And if we like it, we'll buy it again next time. Um, so behavioural science is used in sales. It's used in sports because it works. The military, um, one of the greatest things that's happened in the military in the last few decades or so is you know, battles, wars can be won through hearts and minds. It, we can save lives by by persuading people. Um, you know, hearts, the hearts and the battle of hearts and minds is much more important than the battle of bombs and bullets. Uh, so yeah, behavioural science works in the military, works in politics, and of course that fascinates me how we can apply exactly those principles to safety. Um, yeah, if getting the best out of our people, but then wanting them to come back the next day to want to work with us again, to be proud of what they're doing, to be intrinsically motivated to take care of themselves. Exactly the same principles can be applied to safety. Uh, so yeah, this new program, uh, which we're delighted to be uh, in collaboration with Astutis with, is uh, looking at the much wider behavioral sciences, what we can do to improve safety performance. Notice I've said safety performance here, Toby, not not safety results. I'm sure we'll discuss that a little bit further later on in this conversation. I'm sure too. And it's a really, really good um, analogy that about the supermarket because now it's making me think, uh, you know, maybe maybe I need to uh, adapt my shopping patterns 
the next time I, I pop into my into my local supermarket. But before we get into the course in a more forensic, deeper level, Darren, um, can we discuss the idea of of why, in your opinion, behavioural science is pivotal to potential safety or, or how it can influence safety in your eyes? Because I think that's a very, very um, undercovered topic in, in the arena of health and safety. Um, and, and, and how would you go about potentially analysing the impact of behavioural science on safety? Wow, two or three really good questions again here. Uh, well, first of all, um, behavioural science works. We know that it's in every aspect of our lives. Um, the original behavioural safety programmes around the world, um, yeah, I was excited by that. They do work, but it focuses on the individual. It's looking at the individual's behaviour. OK, why does he or she do that? Um, why does she not do this? Or and it focuses on that behaviour without looking at the wider aspects of behavioural science that might be motivating people. So, for instance, um, you know, an easy quick win, one of the easiest principles of behavioural science is humans are actually quite innovative. We're really good at finding the easy way to do stuff. Yeah, you know, whether that, you know, again, we could go back to the supermarket. I don't know about you, Toby, I don't particularly like going to supermarkets on a Saturday morning. I like to order online. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a lot easier. Uh, it's a lot quicker. Uh, I don't forget stuff. I can save my shopping list, etc. So humans are quite good at defaulting to the easiest solution to do something. And that's behavioural science. How that operates to safety is. If we want people to do things safely, you know, lock, lock out, tag out, lotto or, uh, you know, following the pathway, following the pathway in a safe way away from the vehicles or, or you know, vehicle se people segregation. Then if we want people to do stuff the safe way, the right way, then we need to make it as easy as possible for them to do that. Or we need to make the unsafe way as hard as possible for them to do that. So and then we. we we then, you know, also almost automatically without thinking about it, we'll do the safe thing. So if we can make the safe thing as easy as possible. Um, do you have an Amazon account, Toby, or do you Netflix? I, I do. Yes. Yeah. Uh, how easy do they make that to sign up? Too easy, Darren. Too easy. My bank account will tell you that very, very much so too easy. Yeah, they make it really easy. It's really bold. We can see it's easy to sign up. Uh, you, you can sign up almost immediately. Have you ever tried to cancel either of those accounts? I could have potentially. And if the fact that I don't remember probably tells you that it's probably hard if I tried. Yeah. Um, so, you yeah, know, that's another great example. They want us to buy and sign up for us. They'll make that as easy as possible for us. They don't want us to cancel. They'll make it as difficult as possible for us. This is called nudge theory. Some people might call it sludge theory. Uh, it's used in unethical ways sometimes, but it works. And uh, we can apply exactly the same principles for safety. I still not answered your question. The wider behavioral sciences uh, don't just look at the individual. We look at the wider, the culture, the leadership aspects, the what is it about the targets or incentives, the KPIs within the organization that might be encouraging people to take those shortcuts, to, to, to take the easy option um, or, or to take a risk with their own safety or, or the safety of their colleagues. And uh, 
So yeah, we, we look at the way, wider principles of behavioral science to see how it affects performance and behaviors at every level of the organization, not just at the operational level. Well, that's entirely fascinating, Darren, because I've had a chat with um, the wonderful Jason Anker MBE, who's told me personally that he believes that um, workplace health and safety to begin with is determined foundationally by the culture and and the and the attitudes towards health and safety and how they've only just recently uh, kind of come up to scratch. So it's fascinating that you think that, and I think it, it does link in with Jason's point also. Now, if I may, um, this is a bit I'm really looking forward to of the interview, and it's kind of getting under the hood, so to speak, of the course, because I think what's very important to articulate in our conversation here today is what people can expect from the course and why it matters to them or their organization and i think it's very very important to highlight for this course so if we can start by just going through it um slowly module one um and again there's, there's no one else better to come to than the man who made it himself um what could you tell us about module one of, of this course darren uh, well, I think it's entitled uh, leadership and culture and its impact on people's behaviours. And yeah, we're already starting to look at the wider principles of behavioural science that affects people's behaviour or performance. So even though yeah, we look at leadership, we look at leadership styles there's some nice little interactive exercises that you can do to perhaps identify what your predominant leadership style is. Uh, there's some quite controversial thoughts about culture. Uh, without going into too much detail there, I think we overcomplicate culture, Toby. Uh, I think we make it a lot more difficult than it actually is. Uh, I think there's some easy, quick wins, some deliberate, intentional actions that people can start to do immediately to start to change their culture. People tell me it takes years, decades even, to change the culture of organisations. Yes, it can. Uh, but it doesn't have to be like that. So, so yeah, the, the, the first module is all about leadership, culture, and its impact on performance and behaviour. But it's a lot more than that. We dig a bit deeper and we look at this aspect of performance rather than results. Um, what's your understanding of that, Toby? What's uh, in any, um, what are you into? Sport, music, politics? What's your thing, Toby? Oh, oh, um, I, do, I do enjoy my sport. Um, I do enjoy my cricket, my football, um, but I was going to say there about, about the idea of performance over results. That that brings to I, the idea, the saying of the journey rather than the destination. Would you agree? Kind of, yeah, kind of, uh, and that's covered a lot more in module six. Um, well, yeah, who's your team? Who who? who uh, Regrettably, uh, born and raised in Cardiff, Darren. So uh, I am I am a bluebird by heart. Okay, well, my team's playing your team. I think tomorrow. Wow. Uh, <laughs> um, so, okay, how how are Cardiff doing just now? Um, we are doing okay. We're doing okay. It's very early doors in the season, so it would be uh, irresponsible for me to to comment, really. But okay. My team's doing what well, it looks like they're doing really okay. It's early days, as you say, but we've won the first two matches. Uh, we've got maximum points. Uh, but actually, the results look good, Toby. But actually, if you watch the games, the performances are not that great. We've actually got lucky in both our opening games. 
Now, we could look at Cardiff. I don't know what the results were, but the point we're talking, we're all wasn't just talking about Leicester City or Cardiff City. Uh, what we're talking about, the difference, Toby, is the result is, OK, did we win or do we lose? What Where are we in the championship table? Uh, that's the result. Uh, people tell me they measure, are you, are you going to improve safety performance in our organisation? Um, well, yes, we will improve safety performance, but I can't promise we're going to pro we're going to improve your results. Uh, and there's a huge difference between results and performance. Um, how do we measure performance, Toby? That's a very good question. Who's the I manager of City at the moment? The manager um, is Errol Bullet. Okay, how does he? measure the performance of the team then because it's really important for him to measure the performance not not what they did last season or the season before that's in the past not really what they might do in the future your know, performance is in the now he needs to monitor what people are doing right now we can't even wait until the end of the game because that's too late we, that's the result he's got to observe monitor measure people's performance in the now and if things aren't going too well on saturday what can he do? Make changes. Yeah, if he's monitoring their performance uh, and he can see that actually that guy's looking a bit tired, maybe his attitude's not, he's too excited, he can make minor adjustments, minor changes in the moment, deliberate, intentional actions to improve the performance in the now with the hope that it might improve the result at the end of the game. So this is the difference between performance and results. Thank you for listening, Toby. I know you've done the course. I know you, uh, uh, you're passionate about this as well. It's great talking about Cardiff City and Leicester City. I could do this for the rest of the day. What the heck has this got to do with safety there? It, well, I do think it's a very, very good comparison in terms of understanding that performance is as important or, or, or you know, in some circles, much more important than the result because it's about what someone can learn from it. And often the saying that, um, the most important thing to experience is failure because failure will will teach you uh, much more than, than the success. So because success, ultimately, if we want to get too deep on this, could breed a sense of complacency and, and all of that. But I, I don't I don't want to get too deep uh, uh, this early. Um, if we well, make so we, the, the oh, key point I'm making here, Toby, is safety is the same. It's all about measuring and monitoring that performance in the now. It's no good looking at our record in the past. It's even worse to look at the, the leading indicators. To try, who can predict the future these days? It changes so often. So in safety, it's all about the now. It's all about the performance. How we measure that? Well, we give you some ideas within the program. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's, it, I, I want to say it's a new way of thinking about things. It's not a new way of thinking about things at all. It's just much more important to focus on performance. The things we can do deliberately and intentionally to change things when we need to or want to. And as you say, it's even more important in safety than it is to Errol or uh, I don't even know the Leicester City manager's name at the moment, I'm afraid. The two coaches on a Saturday afternoon, it's even more important for managers and leaders uh, in businesses for safety than it is for a coach uh, in the World Cup final, for instance, on Sunday uh, that, that's coming up between England and Spain. Um, so, yeah, we look at the difference between performance and results. A fascinating module, um, focusing, as I say, and as you say, much more articulately than I, uh, about the performance side and, and, and looking at the comparison between the results. But module two, Darren, if we can move on, um, entitled 
um, avoiding failure or creating excellence. Um, now, this sounds very, very interesting to me personally. This is an area that I, I find uh, arguably one of the more uh, interesting areas of the course, because I think that's, the, you know, the idea of avoiding failure and creating excellence. It's a very, very easy thing to say on paper. And I'm sure you get told that a lot. Um, what can you tell us about module two? OK, module two is probably one of the easier, um, especially for safety professionals, it's probably the easier, easy to understand. Um, it's pretty much still back to the basics. Um, we talk about Swiss cheese theory, which, again, I often assume that most safety professionals will already be aware of. It often surprises me that sometimes they're not. Um, we look at classic Swiss cheese theory, how cat catastrophic events happen, how those holes in the cheese line up to create disaster. But we then switch it on its head. We look at a new way of Swiss cheese theory. What if we flip Swiss cheese theory on its head? It's OK to learn from failure. And you just said it's more important to learn from failure. I'd argue that yeah, that is important, Toby. Um, it's important when things go wrong for us to take the learning from that and not apportion blame, etc. However, we can also learn from success. And the upside to Swiss cheese is looking at you know, how we can analyze why things went so well. You know, if we've gone a whole month without an accident, if we've gone a whole year without a fatality or a serious injury or even a near miss, we need to analyze that success. Why was it such a successful day, week or year? Uh, let's look at the deliberate, intentional things, positive things that people did at each level of the organization to create that success. Or did we just get lucky? And we could go back to Cardiff City and Leicester City on Saturday. Cardiff City may well win. OK, let's look at what they did that week to create that success. Or did they just get lucky? Did they get a deflection or somebody? Uh, it's very important for us to understand why things went so well. And I would argue um, we can actually learn much more from success than we can even from failure. Um, do you have a hobby, Toby? Do you, have you ever learn to play a musical instrument or um, have you learned? I tried to learn drums when I when I was much younger. OK. Um, yeah, I've tried to learn to play guitar and I'm trying to learn to play piano at the moment. Now, who's it best for us to learn from, Toby? Is it best for us to learn from somebody, you know, the uh, the guy or girl down the pub who just sort of whacks the drums a bit here and there and hopefully people don't notice he's not in sync with uh, the rest of the band? He's not particularly good, this drummer. Yes, we could learn from him or her. There's things we could learn from error or failure. Who's it better to learn from, Toby? I would suggest someone a bit more qualified. Such as? Who's your favourite drummer? Oh, I don't have a favourite drummer. I'm, I, this was a very long time ago. Uh, but someone probably who, who knows what they're doing, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Cozy Powell in my day. Nick Mason, Pink Floyd drummer. Or, uh, yeah, um, I'm showing my age here, Toby. Yeah, so we, we if we're learning a new skill, it's OK to look at the things when it goes wrong and, and to avoid failure. But actually, it's much better to understand how great performers do their thing. Um, so it's a, to learn from excellence rather than just from failure. And again, that's so true in safety. Uh, we'll look at that. We'll, we'll be great at looking when things go wrong. Let's get everybody in root cause, analyze why it went wrong. That's OK. Keep doing that. Just get even better 
uh, root cause analy analyzing. Just imagine, Toby, if we were just as keen to root cause analyze why things went so well. What is it that we did there to make sure that was so successful? Uh, that's what elite performing organizations do much better than the average organization. If I may, just on a very brief uh, follow up to that, um, how would you go about trying to analyze that excellence or that or that success when it might be, I would presume, a lot harder than understanding why things failed, if that makes sense? It is a lot harder because we're not used to doing it. We're not used to doing it. We're not even used to noticing good behaviors. So in safety, very briefly, you're asking some great questions and you know I can talk all day on this. Um, okay, let's just look at, you know, some companies have a golden rule. When you're walking down the stairs, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you must hold the handrail. And that's okay, I get it. It's a bit controversial these days because of COVID and the pandemic and people are not so keen, keen to hold the stairway. Uh, but it's still important that we do that. Now, yeah, it, the obvious thing is let's find the people that don't do it well. They, 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 let's say Toby doesn't hold the handrail. He's holding his cup of coffee in one hand and his mobile phone in the other and just walking down the stairs. Well, we could grab hold of you, Toby, and we can recall analyze why you did that. And that's okay. That'll, that'll give us some learnings. But what if we found a character that always held the handrail, religiously, habitually. It's just something they do. Uh, and we found somebody who did it consistently well, all the time, in every circumstances, whatever the weather. Uh, what if we went and talked to that person, say, look, why is it that you do that so well? We've noticed you do that really well every time. It could be a safety harness. It could be wearing safety goggles. Um, I had a conversation in a workshop just this morning where somebody wasn't wearing their safety harness prop properly and nearly led to a fatality. So, yeah, it could be any specific behaviour. But yeah, it's more difficult to catch people doing things well and then ask them the question, tell me the story. Why is it that you do that so well? And then they'll tell us the narrative and we'll find well, that will unlock new learnings as to why they do it so well that we can then share with others. Um, does that make sense? I've not explained it quite as thoroughly as I wanted to, but it's entirely fascinating, and it's just interesting to me, Darren, because, like I say, it's it's not the normal thing to do, as you say. The normal thing to do is to catch uh, the poor behaviours or, or the failures that cause these accidents or potential uh, tragic fatalities. But it's very, very interesting to see the other side of the coin of how we could potentially um, introduce enhanced mechanisms to evaluate behaviour and performance. Um, and, and and as we've been discussing, this is what the course can help embed. And I think it's entirely fascinating. Um, if we may move on to module three, because this this one shares my my curiosity as, as module two. Um, it covers and casts a forensic lens over the drivers of behavior. Um, does this module look to uncover the causes of certain behaviors in the workplace? Um, well, yes, it does. It does a lot more than that, Toby, as well. It, it looks at, um, well, as the title says, the drivers of behaviour. Why do people do things? Uh, we'll look at values, beliefs. Uh, we'll look at how values and beliefs are formed. Uh, we'll also look at attitudes. Uh, and again, that was the thing that impressed me so much about you when we tried to have this conversation in the back of a camper van <laughs> whilst I was on holiday. You noticed my attitude. 
straight away you you it might have been my body language you might have i might have looked tired straight away you noticed my attitude this wasn't going to go as well as we both wanted it to uh, and so you took immediate and deliberate action and suggested that we uh, that we change the date until i got home um so we look at values beliefs attitudes uh we also look at something called nudge theory that we've mentioned already. There's some great little examples of nudge theory that are easily applied to safety. And we start to introduce people to this concept of self-talk. Uh, you remember self-talk, Toby? I do, I do. I think, um, sadly though, I'm probably not the best example for it. Um, my, my, <sighs> I'm probably not the best example for it, Darren, but I'm, I, I believe that you could probably articulate it in a much more um, articulative way. Well, self-talk is just the posh name that we, we performance psychologists give to that little voice in your head. Everybody's got a little voice in their head. Indeed. A lot of people tell me they've got more than one little voice. Uh, <laughs> me, two people over the years have told me, no, I don't. No, no, I don't have a voice in my head at all. I'm not going to say I disbelieve them. My guess is they do. They just don't hear it so often. Uh, but we all have this internal dialogue, that little voice in our head. Now, it's critical because that self-talk affects our decision making. Our decision making affects our performance and then ultimately our behaviours or our behaviours and then ultimately our performance. So, again, sorry to sort of uh, bounce this back to you, Toby. Um, um, have you ever played sport competitively? Oh, I wish. Um, I, that never really for me. Uh, I never really had the body type for it. I'll put it that much. Uh, I no. It would have been. It would have been a tragedy if it, if it had been. I, I was. I was never really that good at anything either. I was more into my books as 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 a student. Okay. Well, that tells me something. Um, without prodding too deep, uh, there, Toby. Your self-talk probably present, prevented you that all everything that you just said to me just there about why you didn't play competitive sport, that was the internal dialogue going on in your head, whatever it might be. Uh, and I'm not going to prod any deeper there because that's going to be very personal to you. By the way, it's the same for me. My self-talk held me back in, in certain areas as well. And it does everybody else. So self-talk can either hold you back and say, right. actually, you know, I'm not quick enough, I'm not big enough, I'm not, I'm not strong enough or smart enough, whatever it might be, that self-talk is going to hold us back. Um, it doesn't have to be like that. An example I usually use here is, well, have you ever played rugby, Toby? The Rugby World Cup's coming up. I, I don't know the rules to rugby. All I know is you've got to pass it, you know, diagonally behind you. Um, yes, yep. I'm, I, I, I'm not really the best guinea pig when it comes to rugby, but okay. I, I can so, follow you through. So an example that I normally use is either on a rugby field or a boxing match or something like that, or perhaps a tennis match. And I'll find somebody in the room and I'll ask them, OK, I'll find somebody that actually does box or play rugby or or play tennis. And you know, a good example is, OK, yeah, you've boxed. OK, let's just pretend you've, you, you have learned to box at some point in your life, Toby. Now, tomorrow afternoon, Saturday lunchtime, you're not going to be sitting down to watch Leicester City play Cardiff. Tomorrow lunchtime, Toby, just imagine you were going to go three rounds with Mike Tyson. I guess you know who Mike Tyson is, right? I do, yes. Yeah, um, yeah I know he's getting on a bit, but he's, uh, yeah, he's still pretty brutal. Now, you're going to have to go three rounds with him. 
What's your self-talk saying at this time? My self-talk is is questioning uh, my decision-making at that point um, and my sanity levels uh, for wanting to put myself through such punishment. Um, yes, doubting whether it was a good idea to begin with. So, and your self-talk is probably going to be saying, wow, he's bigger than me, he's stronger than me, he's, uh, he's badder than me, um, he's more brutal than me, uh, he's angrier than me. And that's all probably true. That self-talk is all agree, probably yes. true. And the truth for me as well. But it's not going to be helpful for you should you have to get in that ring. It's not going to help your performance. If you continue to say those little things to yourself, that's not going to help your performance for sure. Now, this is going to be tough. It'd be tough for me and, and probably tough for you as well, Toby. Um, what positive self-talk could we come up with? Just imagine you have got to go in the ring with Mike Tyson just for three rounds, Toby, that's all. Three rounds of two minutes with Mike Tyson. What more helpful self-talk could you say to yourself in that moment, should you have to do that? That's also true. I would I would probably the first thing that come to mind was this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, you know, you won't really get this this opportunity again. Um, and you can potentially surprise yourself or, or I could surprise myself with with a performance that isn't terrible, um, but most likely. Um, I, I will say right now they're the only two I can come up with only because Mike Tyson is Mike Tyson. Uh, but that might change. Yeah, well, well, they're two good ones already. You could, I've heard some more. Some people say, OK, I'm younger than him. I'm probably quicker than him on my feet anyway, if not my fists. I'm probably smarter than him. And uh, he's probably never boxed anybody like you before. So it's going to feel pretty odd for him too. Now, all these things are true. And this self-talk is much more helpful to us. It's going to enhance our performance in the moment rather than deplete our performance. So self-talk is massive. Uh, yeah, we could have the same discussion about learning to play piano or drums or, or guitar, the things that held us back and the things that are gonna launch us forward and encourage us to do more. Uh, and again, uh, Toby, I'm purposely keeping our conversation away from safety sometimes because self-talk is exactly the same for safety. When we get in the moment, when we get to that scaffolder, when we get to that, uh, I don't know, the warehouse operative uh, or the Amazon delivery driver, their internal dialogue, their self-talk in their head, what they say to themselves in the moment, first thing in the morning, whilst they're delivering their goods, is going to affect their decision making. That's going to affect their behaviour, that's going to affect their performance. So the great news about self-talk, Toby, is just like we were doing there, uh, once we get better at listening to it, uh, recognising it, recognising whether it's helpful to us or not, uh, we can then reframe that voice. We can then retrain that self-talk to say something much more helpful to us. And uh, yeah, it's a fascinating concept, self-talk, uh, massive to decision making and performance and uh, hugely relevant uh, to, uh, to our safety performance. Um, yeah, I wanted to say something else there because it's so wide self-talk, but we'll leave people to be curious. There's some really great examples in the programme of how we can uh, reframe our self-talk and, and other examples of how it affects our performance uh, in our daily lives. Thank you for sharing that, Darren. I did not anticipate being uh, confronted 
with the potential uh, kind of grudge match between uh, Mike Tyson and myself. But I, I have to say, I'll, I'll, I'll go with the punches, uh, as, as the saying goes. Roll with um, the punches, yes. Module 4 mm-hmm. introduces three quite interesting elements um, into this whole arena. Uh, purpose, autonomy and mastery. And as the creator of the course, I'm very, very intrigued to hear your personal opinion on on why these three steps for you are very, very important. Yeah, module four is very often people's favourite module uh, as they progress through the programme. Um, and what you've just mentioned there, purpose, autonomy, competence, mastery, that's my favourite theory in all of psychology. And what we're talking about, Toby, is something called self-determination theory. Uh, how to unlock this discretionary effort, the intrinsic motivation, which is so important for safety. Um, A lot of companies I work with have people doing really dangerous things on their own. They're not in a team. They don't have a supervisor. They're they're just on their own doing a really important task, uh, often very hazardous. Uh, So it then becomes absolutely vital to have these people intrinsically motivated to want to be safe, to be proud of being safe, not just feel like they have to be safe. So self-determination theory um, is the only way that I know to get people intrinsically motivated. It's the best way of explaining, well, this is how to get that discretionary effort. And uh, well, it starts off with purpose. Again, I like to use an example away from safety. I had a story the other day where there was a young lady on one of my live courses and uh, she was about to get married in a couple of months time uh, to a man that she adored and he just happened to be Italian. And she was going over to Italy to meet his parents for the first time. Uh, She was really excited about this. She had one big problem though, they didn't speak English and she didn't speak Italian. And there was only two or three months before she was going to visit. She was going to visit just a month before the wedding. Um, So self-determination theory came to play here. She's now got a clear purpose uh, to learn to speak Italian. She'd never learned to speak any language in her life before. I think she tried to learn to speak French. She told us at school she wasn't very good at it. But now she had a clear purpose. She wanted to impress this man's parents. Uh, And so now she's got this purpose of learning to speak even a little bit of Italian, the next step to self-determination theory, Toby, is autonomy. Autonomy. Sorry, I should let you answer that there. No, 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 please carry on. Yeah. Um, Now, does she have a choice in how she learns to speak Italian? Yes. What choices does she have these days in how to speak Italian? In terms of learning? Yeah. Oh, there's absolutely countless avenues that she can she can go down to learn Italian. Yeah, back in my day, you'd have to buy a book or maybe get some personal tuition. There's so many other ways we can learn now. There's a big choice. People have autonomy to choose the way they're going to learn to speak a new language. And that, that's the important step. If we've got a choice, OK, we don't like reading a book. I don't want personal tuition. OK, let's do an online course. Let, let's let's get an app. Let's listen to our podcast. Uh, there's loads of different ways that might suit people to people's, people's learning. Uh, so once she chooses the best way for her, she'll try it. 
she'll start to get competent at speaking Italian and then eventually she gets the motivation is streamlined to become masterful at it and that was her little story of how all of a sudden she didn't even know how it happened all of a sudden she became really motivated to speak Italian this beautiful language uh, and enjoying the conversation uh, with uh, her future parents-in-law that's a great example of how self-determination works purpose autonomy choice leads to competence and then mastery or greatness at that particular skill so again toby um my favorite theory in all of psychology what the heck has it got to do with safety though what's it got to do with safety well i, I was just going to say it, it's interesting how because when i read it out many people probably who aren't attuned to the course as we are would have thought okay what what are those what are those three? Well, you, you you added competence in there just before mastery. I may have skipped a step, but this idea that it is a it is a framework of of um to to lack of a better word mastery of something. You start from here, and then you you realise it's actually inside your head or inside yourself how you get there yourself. And I think that can be applied uh, to safety, and it starts with you, the individual, or or the as we say, the culture or the uh, the influence inside an organisation. Exactly. Uh, the big problem here, Toby, without giving too much away, is people's purpose in the workplace. We go back to the Amazon driver. They might wake up in the morning and their purpose might be to get as many products delivered to as many people as they possibly can because they've got a target to hit and they've got money to earn. Now, if their clear purpose is to deliver as many products to as many people to earn as much money, and they have choices of how they do that. They can drive a van, they can drive a motorbike, they can get a big lorry, uh, they can get a friend to help them. There's loads of different ways. They've got a choice on how they're going to do that. Uh, and then they'll get competent at it and they'll get great at it. Great at taking shortcuts to deliver as many products as they possibly can to earn as much money. Now, this is how self-determination theory can work against us in safety. The great news is, once we understand how it works for the bad, we can then use it as a force for good, change people's purpose, change their self-talk, uh, and there's mechanisms we can do to do that. So they're aligned towards choosing a safer option. Uh, so they get home again, feeling healthy, so they can come again tomorrow to do the same job uh, without taking unnecessary risk. Um, we need to be careful here, Toby. We might be going for the whole course here. Uh, the course takes six or eight hours to go through. Actually, it takes a bit longer, if I'm honest, 10 or 12 if you do it properly. Um, so there's, there's plenty of other things in the programme uh, that hopefully we're leaving you to be curious to go and see what, what else there is out there. Absolutely. And we'll only briefly touch on the final two modules uh, without spoiling too much. I completely agree. There's a lot to discover with this course. There's some really, um, in my opinion, undervalued information about how we operate and how we can improve that in a multitude of arenas as you say outside of safety as well uh, that can really improve our lives so we'll briefly if we can uh, just touch on uh, modules um, five and uh, or module six uh, which is i believe is the last one left um we we have just covered module five haven't we i'm not i'm not, I'm not, I'm not. module four was self-determination theory oh, self yes, of course of course of things well um, well, i need another in, coffee module five is dead easy toby um it's the core of the program what do you what do you remember of module five well 
I remember it's the idea of trying to analyze our understanding of behaviors and maybe our preconceptions of of what things are and whether whether it was all really important to the the idea of behavioral safety um i'm probably not the best guinea pig it was some time ago and you're probably not going to tell me i've got this completely wrong Hey, um, remember it really well that's exactly what module five is about fantastic abc analysis um how to analyze behaviors to really understand why people do stuff uh the a's are the activators are the antecedents and the c's are the consequences uh, the b of course stands for behavior any specific behavior uh, so yeah it's the real meat of the program probably the most important module um one of the things I'm most proud of about that module is when I first did my research in ABC analysis, most of the things I read, uh, including the health and safety guidance note, including quite a good training program, which was there in the day for the rail industry and the nuclear industry, um, it only focused on two consequences. You know, if you do something, Toby, I don't know, have you ever driven your car, Toby, and looked at your mobile phone? I'm not going to answer. I'm not going to ask you that, and you don't have to answer that. Okay, you don't have to answer that. I, know I you're don't just drive, that. so um, I, I can I can I can escape out of that when I don't drive, and I wouldn't, even if I even if I could. Well, some people will have at some time of their life. Some people will still be doing that. We see them on the roads every day. Um, why have I mentioned that? Because. Yeah, the two consequences of our actions are if we do this dangerous, risky behavior, look at our mobile phone whilst we're driving our car. The two consequences are, Toby. Potentially fatal accident. Mm -hmm. um, well, you know, it, it, tragic, tragic circumstances. And um, hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, it wouldn't end in a fatality. Yeah, well, the two consequences are, yeah, the first one is something bad might happen. We might have a crash. We might kill someone. We might die ourselves or have serious injury. Something bad might happen as a direct result of this behavior. The bad thing is, Toby, is very often, or perhaps it's the good thing, very often that bad thing doesn't happen. We don't crash. We don't die. We don't kill anybody. We don't go to jail. Actually, when we look at our mobile phone whilst we're driving, bizarrely, something good happens. What good things happen when people look at their mobile phone whilst driving, Toby? I can't really answer that. I, I don't. I don't think anything really good. I think. I think. The, tell me if I'm if I'm getting this wrong, but I think what you're trying to say is, it's bad in the way that those bad things don't happen because it's not so much of a deterrent because those accidents however tragic and however frequent aren't as frequent as they could be well no no that's, that's not what i'm saying at all uh, that's what most people think uh, but what i'm saying is people do this behavior because good things happen to them when they do it they'll receive information uh, they'll get that message from their loved one or they'll they'll see the result of what their team is. They'll see that Cardiff City has beaten Leicester City this weekend. They've got that information immediately, even though they're taking a risk and bad things might happen. Actually, by doing this behavior, the reason they do it is because 
they're receiving information that they want right now. And that's good for them. Now, again, it's dangerous as talking on in this brief conversation here, even though we are going into some detail. Those are only two consequences. When we drive fast, really fast, you know, something bad might happen. The key word here is, Toby, it only might happen. When we drive fast, actually some good things happen. What do you think happens when people drive really fast? What good things happen? Well, for them personally, the good thing that happens is that they get to their location uh, in a much faster uh, duration. Possibly. And? They probably enjoy it. Yeah, they enjoy it. It's yeah. exciting. It's thrilling. Uh, and they, they love the sound of their car when they're driving so fast. And so, yeah, good things happen to people in the moment, even though the bad thing might happen. Uh, so those are just two consequences for the behavior. Something good might happen. Something bad might happen. There are actually two more consequences that we really do need to understand to unlock this intrinsic motivation uh, or to understand the difference between intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation. The difference between pe persuading people to want to do something rather than feeling like they have to do something. So we cover all four consequences of ABC analysis, which is really quite unusual. Uh, I don't think any other training course looks at all four consequences rather than just the two basic ones. Uh, and we believe that uh, all four consequences are vitally important for us to understand of how we can motivate people better to make better decisions in safety. Um, okay, we'll leave people curious about the rest for ABC. No, no, I, I think it, it, that that's a really good way to to understand that module. And please understand when 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 I'm getting these answers ever so slightly wrong, it's purely because um, when you said, for instance, it's a good thing. Arguably, it is for the individual, but definitely not for 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 the wider context. Well, you're not getting them wrong, Toby. You're absolutely right. That's the key principle. When we look at those behaviours, very often we think, OK, it's bad behaviour. Yeah, it's bad for you. It's bad for me. It's bad for everybody else. But, but for those people that are doing that behaviour in their map of the world, with their values and beliefs and attitudes, in that moment, it's actually a good behaviour for them. They're doing it with a positive intention. No, that makes complete sense. And and as I say, articulated in a much finer way than myself, Darren. So thank you. Well, you're not uh, making mistakes at all. You're actually making a lot of sense uh, and helping people understand this. And this is massively relevant for safety. Why do people take a risk in safety? They're bad people. They're lazy. They're breaking the rules. No, they're probably doing it with a positive intention to earn more money, to save more money, to hit that target or KPI that their organisation have set them. Uh, so, yeah, this is what we mean by looking at the wider behavioural science rather than just the individual's behaviour to understand what we need to do to change things to alter those behaviours that worry us so much. And it's very, very important. And we're just going to briefly touch on the last uh, part of the course because this is how it all culminates. And it's very, very interesting to me because it looks, Module 6, in how we determine how best to set goals. And it aims to kind of expose less traditional methodologies that might help um, provide better goals or aspirations. What can you tell us about module six to really tie the bow on this course for us, Darren? Yeah, uh, well, again, you've hit it absolutely right. And I love that what you said there. I almost want to say, no, that's what module six is all about. Just what Toby's just said there. Um, those traditional ways of setting goals are not helpful to us. 
they I'm not going to say they don't work. Very often they do work. It's just how they work and what it actually leads to. Um, there are much better. All I'll say, Toby, is when we're talking about things like smart targets, uh, those traditional ways, there are better ways to motivate people. There are much better ways to drive performance these days. Uh, so I'm going to leave people to be curious about that. Um, outcome goals, process goals, performance goals, very different to smart targets will take us way beyond whatever targets we may be tempted to set. So we look at the science behind that. We give some great examples in other areas of performance and what it really means for safety. Uh, there is another um, tiny little bit in module six. Uh, we look at how we can embed learning throughout organizations. Uh, not just doing a course, ticking a box and getting a certificate. What can we do to make it longer lasting? Uh, that's often, well, even though there's, there's only two things in module six, uh, we get a lot of feedback there where people tell us, actually, I've never really thought about it like that. Uh, actually, we really do need to shake things up in our organization. That's going to be much better for us, not just for safety and other areas of performance as well. So. So yeah, Toby, you've asked some great questions. I want to say I'm exhausted, but I'm not. I want to go on and and some more. Well, of questions, you've but. been extremely gracious with your time, Darren. You've you've helped us run through the course. I have one more question, and I will let you be free. I will free you from the shackles of of the Health and Safety Digest. Um, my final question is: Now that we've discussed the course in forensic detail, and thank you very much for that. Um, how important is it for you personally that organisations? Um, look to not only try to understand um, behavioural safety, uh, but know how to utilise it to the broader advantage um, for the safety of their employees and, and, and the organisation itself. Uh, yeah, great question right at the end. I didn't actually read that question. I, I was so excited by the other questions. You've caught me by surprise by this question, even though you gave them to me several weeks ago. Um, well, we often get asked by companies, can you come in? We've got a problem with behavior. You know, you're the experts in behavioral safety. Can you come in uh, and tell us what to do? And of course, the easy question is say, yes, of course we can. Uh, that's not what I like to do. That doesn't excite me at all. Uh, I don't think that would be very effective either. What I prefer to do, and that's the real essence of the course, especially this online version, they've been translated into many different languages, uh, can be easily accessible to lots of people, you know, they don't have to travel or attend a, a program. What I prefer to do is to give leaders, supervisors, senior executives a better understanding of how behavioral science works, how it can work for them in safety, health and well-being, and even wider aspects of their business. So it's a bit like that. So I remember my old maths teacher uh, telling me the, uh, I think it was a fable of, uh, you, um, you can give a man a fish, uh, to feed him for a day, or you can teach a man to fish, and you'll feed him for and his family for the whole for his whole life or her whole life, and uh, that's what I like to do: give organisations the knowledge, the skills, not only to understand the principles of behavioural science, but to actually apply them practically to help us improve safety performance. And then when the whole team understands, that's where the magic happens. Conversations work, and the real change happens you know my first ever client i don't think i should probably mention them here uh, but they're a very famous nationwide uk company in the uh, in the well, merchant sector shall we say and still some 15 years later 
uh, I'll get a message from them on LinkedIn or the odd phone call occasionally, and they'll still talk to me about things they did on the program 15 years ago. Now that tells me it works. That you know, they'll still mention ABC. Um, somebody mentioned they were watching a football match the other day, rugby actually, and uh, uh, they sent me a message on Twitter saying, Darren, we should ABC analyze that. We'd have a much better understanding of why players do such things. Uh, ABC analysis to help us change that. And that was 15 years ago that he did the course and he still remembers the principles of behavioral science uh, from a behavior that he saw on a rugby pitch. Um, okay, wow. we talked about sport too much, Toby. Maybe we should have talked about drumming or guitar playing a little bit as well. I, I don't think it'd be as fun, but Darren, I just wanted to say thank you very much for giving up your time, for dissecting the course in forensic detail and gifting the, the viewers and listeners here today of the Health and Safety Digest a real uh, kind of under the hood look at the course and how it can benefit them. So I want to say thank you very much for giving your time and thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, Toby, just one last thing from me for Astutis, all the people, all the wonderful people that I've met with Astutis. Steve Terry was the first, uh, and then Brennig and a few others, and then you and some of your colleagues as well in marketing. We've been so impressed at your organisation and you know, the opportunity to collaborate with you to take this course global, globally, uh, you know, much wider uh, to, to many more people. Uh, it's... It, it's a great opportunity for us and it's a real honor to work with you. Uh, it's, a, it's a great organization you've got there and uh, we're absolutely delighted in, in working with you. So thank you for your time and for taking the time to come up with some great questions. And uh, yeah, let's do it again sometime, Toby, when, whenever's, whenever it's right. Absolutely. Thank you, Darren. Brilliant.